This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. This is West Gippsland Week on your community station 103.13 BR FM. And I'm Paul Strickland. Here at West Gippsland Week, we're keen to hear from you. You can comment or send story ideas to wgw at 3brfm.org.au. As mentioned earlier, Victoria and indeed Australia is heading into its festival of gambling with the horse racing and in particular the Melbourne Cup. And here in Victoria we've recently had some devastating revelations by uh, royal commissions into the Crown Casino. So let's have a look at the gambling industry and we'll start from the impacts on individuals. And we spoke recently with Stuart. Stuart is a speaker uh, that's organised by a group called Respin, who, who offers speakers to community groups about gambling and about gambling addiction. And he joins me now. Um, thanks very much for your time, Stuart. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Can we start a little bit with, with your own story about uh, how, you, uh, how you were impacted by gambling and, and how you came to particularly be concerned about sporting groups? My own story is, as you might tell from my accent, I'm not from Australia. I grew up in Ireland. I um, came out here in 1999, married a local girl, and I knew nothing about poker machines until one fateful afternoon when I was out with a group of friends having a drink in the city, and one of the party said, let's go and play the pookies. And I didn't even know what she meant, but we went into a separate room at the establishment in this room with lots of um, flashing machines, and she got out $5, put it in the machine and won a jackpot of $300. And I thought, wow, that's easy money. And um, I didn't think much more about it until back then I was living in a suburb called St. Albans in um, the western suburbs of Melbourne. And I used to have to um, take my daughter to childcare every day in the, in, in, um, the Victoria University campus. And to get there, I had to walk past the hotel and one day I just walked in there and put in 50 bucks in the machine and also won a big jackpot of several hundred dollars and that got me hooked. And from then on, I gamble small amounts every other day at the St. Albans Hotel and gradually branched out to gambling at other machines in the western suburbs until I yeah, got a serious addiction. can't tell you how many thousands of dollars I lost over the years because I didn't keep track of it. And gamblers often underplay their losses, but um, it led to a, a long history of gambling on and off, really, for over 10 years. W- was there a, a, a sort of line that you felt between when it was a, a recreation to when it tipped into uh, addiction? Uh, could you feel that? Or, or was it just sort of this grey kind of sliding into into something? Uh, I think when, you, when I started gambling, more and more money, when the stakes started going up, and when I found that, you know, I was gambling at all hours of the day or sneaking out in the middle of the night to gamble. And also when it started affecting my, you know, significant others when I remarried and my wife um, found out about my gambling habits when, you know, she'd go to bed and I'd sneak out at two o'clock in the morning to, to my local club, RSL club. And, um, and then she was like, this has got to stop. So it took a number of years after that because it, it's, it's a very difficult addiction to break. 
and, and so you, you gave, became interested um, in particularly in, in sporting clubs. Uh, uh, tell me about that. Well, I, I was and I'm a big fan of the Bulldogs, Western Bulldogs Football Club. And um, back in the day, if you wanted to see an away match, say the Bulldogs were playing in Perth, you used to have to go to the club rooms at the Witten Oval and they had a few poker machines there. And often I'd have a drink and let my guard down. And then at half time, the long half time break, I'd put a couple of hundred dollars through the poker machines. And then also our home ground was the Dockland Stadium, um, now the Marvel Stadium. And on level two, there used to be an area called Livewire that had uh, dozens of poker machines, you might say almost a hundred. So again, during the halftime break, I'd have a couple of drinks, wander down there and um, put a lot of money through the machines. One time I put my entire weekly wage through. I had to phone my wife at half the end of the match and say, we don't have any money for groceries this week. So yeah, sport and pokies went together hand in hand for me. And um, I just believe that they shouldn't that, they sh- that there shouldn't be any link between them. So that's when I decided to run for the board of the Bulldogs on an anti-poker machine ticket. Some of my colleagues in the anti-gambling um, realm um, did things like run for the board of Wilworths. I don't know if you're aware, but Wilworths owns a bunch of pokies, or at least they used to. So a friend of mine, Susan Rennie, um, she ran for the board of, of or she bought enough shares to be able to talk at the AGM of Wilworths and sort of paid them out for their... Um, poker machine involvement and I thought well if she can do it then I can too so I um, got a couple of signatures from my um, fellow Bulldogs members to nominate me and um, stood up at the AGM and made what a, a pretty angry speech telling them about how I'd suffered harm from poker machines in general but particularly ones owned by the club and um, highlighted the unfairness of it and that some clubs like North Melbourne don't own any pokies, but yet our club continues to profit from them and all the harm that they do, the family violence, the suicides, the, um, the depression, the mental health problems, the wasted money. And um, the club were not very happy about me running for the board on a single issue ticket, but they have now divested from pokies. They've sold them all, got rid of them, sold them to the um, Melbourne Racing Club, haven't got rid of them entirely, unfortunately, but at least the club no, no longer owns them. And, and indeed, a couple of clubs have, have since divested as well. That's right. Most clubs are on the way out. Clubs like Melbourne, Geelong are on the, um, either on the way or hoping to get rid of them. Um, there's talk of Collingwood, Richmond. The two big ones that want to hold on them, I think, are unfortunately are Hawthorne and Carlton. Hawthorne own a big mini casino out in Waverley that um, generates about $20 million turnover per year. And Carlton have... Um, Board members who are heavily involved in the poker machine industry, so they're the, they're the two that I think will will hang on. But hopefully we can, um, yeah, the rest will get out. Greater Western Sydney as well. They they decided not to go down that route. The two Perth clubs don't have any. I'm pretty sure the Adelaide clubs are either out or on the way out. And indeed, probably since that time, uh, the the push has gone further to try and disconnect sport from gambling, including the from the Western Bulldogs and and, uh, and some other sporting groups leading, uh, promo- I guess, uh, anti-gambling promotion, if that's the right word. Yeah, look, the Western Bulldogs um, do a lot of work with the um, Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation and some of our um, like our recent podcasts were sponsored by by them. And um, I don't know if you've seen the adverts on TV, but some um, prominent AFL figures like Brody Grundy, um, Easton Wood, former captain of our club, uh, making a stand against gambling. Um, unfortunately, the AFL is like, funded by companies such as Sportsbet, 
I know that there are some figures within the, the AFL hierarchy who don't like it, but getting them to um, getting them to wean themselves off that revenue stream might be difficult. Which I guess is the issue for a lot of sports clubs, uh, such as the Ellenbank Football Club in this area, who who at one point were wanting to get a number of um, poker machines for their club rooms. It is what looks like a fairly easy revenue stream and revenue is always a problem for, for community-based organisations of whatever size. Yeah, but you have to look at it. I mean, I don't know how many clubs there are in your league, but for me it's also a, a question of fairness. Um, why should one club profit from poker machines but the rest of the clubs in the district don't? Um, and how come these other clubs can also survive without bookies, but one, this one can't? And also look at the harm that's, that's being done by the machines, um, the antisocial behaviour around the, the club that would ensue and um, the club members who would be bankrupted and suffer mental health problems. You have to see that the, the bad really outweighs the goods when it comes to bookies. I haven't heard of the Allen Bank Football Club, but good on them for, um, good on their members for standing up to the industry. Can we go back to your personal story? You... you um, I think in the end said you, you after some counselling, just went cold turkey. Is that what people need to, to kind of gird their loins to do? Are, are there other ways that people can get out of the, the addiction? Oh, when I say I went cold turkey, I mean, that's after years of counselling. And um, I think you really need to find find something else to occupy the time that you spent gambling. Um, for instance, take up a new hobby, get fit. I give up alcohol. And I've giving up alcohol. For me, alcohol and gambling went hand in hand because all of these venues, unfortunately, serve, serve alcohol. So um, I'd say I'm just going to go in for a drink and then go in for a couple of drinks, let my guard down, let my defences down and play the pookies. So I give up alcohol. You know, I've taken up, I play a musical instrument, spend time with my kids. Um, and other, other things I've done, things that have been really powerful for me is like talking to you joining the um, Respin project and joining the another group called the Alliance for Gambling Reform. So now I actively campaign against the bookies. And that's actually really, that's really powerful for me because it makes me feel like I've gained power over the industry rather than they have power over me. But um, yeah, there's lots of Facebook groups you can join if anybody's interested. There's one called Kick in the Pump. If anybody's in Facebook and is having struggling with gambling issues, please join up. Thanks very much for your time. No, thank you. Thanks, Paul. Go well and bank. That's Stuart from a group called Respin, and they supply speakers to community groups talking about gambling and uh, the problems it raises and gambling addiction. So you can look them up on the internet, usual as usual, put Respin into your uh, search engine and they will come up. And also the other group he mentioned was a Facebook group called Kickin' the Punt if you would like to get their support to get out of your gambling addiction. This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. This is West Gippsland Week here on your community station 103.13 BR FM and we're exploring the gambling industry and its impacts on our community and on our individuals. And I recently was able to speak with Dr. Alex Russell, who is from the Experimental Gambling Research Lab at the University of Central Queensland. And we began by exploring some recent research that they've done, looking at the changes in recent times. And he explained that the numbers of people had slightly decreased, but the harms had stayed pretty much the same or got worse. 
for those that were involved. We're seeing de- decreases across pretty much all the forms of gambling. So it's not just lotteries. Um, scratchies dropped quite a lot. For example, they've about halved. Um, but so is everything. So, you know, in race betting, that's dropped from about 22% to about 17%, for example, um, despite all the advertising, you know, to get people to open online accounts and everything. Um, gambling is becoming, you know, one of those things that, that fewer people are interested in, but those who are doing it are still pretty involved. So while we're seeing drops in a lot of these uh, gambling forms, what we are seeing is shifts in the way that people um, gamble. So, you know, some things like pokies and, uh, you know, scratchies, for example, you have to go to a venue to do that. Um, you know, we don't have in Australia online pokies. It might surprise a lot of people overseas. They do have online pokies and online casinos, but we don't have that. We actually have pretty restrictive online betting laws. All we allow really is betting on things like sports and races. You can buy your lottery tickets online and recently keynotes come online as well. Um, so online gambling, you know, it sounds pretty restricted, but actually that's more than doubled in the last 10 years. So we're moving online in a lot of ways, you know, and that, that's been big during COVID, of course, but these numbers are pre-COVID, so it might even be bigger now. Let's say, you know, the online gambling apps that are around, they're very good apps. You know, we all have apps on our phone that, you know, maybe aren't that intuitive or usable, but with gambling apps, they're really well designed and you can find exactly what you want pretty quickly. Plus now we've all got phones in our pockets and internet speeds are fast. So it's easy to bet online and we're seeing a lot more people are doing that. I guess there's be a bit of an assumption around that because of COVID, um, some of the traditional forms of gambling have moved online because everything else has. But do I understand you saying that it's just been a trend anyway and, and it really hasn't been particularly accelerated by, by COVID? Yeah, COVID's been an interesting one. At the very start of COVID, one of the most amazing things happened, which was that all the pokies in Australia were turned off. If you ever told me that that was going to happen, I would never have believed you. You know, so you don't touch pokies. They make a lot of money um, and yet they were all turned off. So that was a that was a big deal. And for a lot of people, that's, that's their fix. That's what they need. Um, it often helps them cope with situations around them. And, and COVID, of course, has been very stressful too. So you would expect that people were going to go online and, and they did to an extent. Um, there's... A bunch of data around, we've got some coming um, in a little while too, um, but the data that's around seems to be fairly contradictory. Um, so some people are finding that people moved online, other people not so much. One of the things that we think has happened is that people who are the biggest gamblers, you know, people who tend to experience problems as well, they don't just bet on, say, the pokies. They bet on a bunch of stuff. So, you know, they'll play the pokies and then they'll go home and place a few sports bets and a few race bets and, you know, go and buy their lottery tickets, tend to be involved in a lot of things. So while there may not necessarily have been more people shifting online for COVID, there might have been, maybe a bit, um, the uh, bulk of gambling will have been happening online because that's all there was. That's all that was available. But Trade-off with that, though, is that, you know, a lot of sports weren't available right at the start of COVID. You remember, you know, the AFL and the NRL, they were just getting started in their 2020 season and shut down. 
Um, and about the only sports that you could bet on were things like Russian table tennis, if that's your thing. Uh, but they were offered, you know, and they're, they're offering things like betting on the weather in various um, capital cities and things. You know, you can always bet on something, um, you know, the colour of the tie that ScoMo was going to wear when he did his next press conference. You know, these are the kind of things that they, they were offering and promoting, which they don't normally promote that much because that's all they had. Um if you actually have a look at the shareholder statements for, you know, these online betting companies, they did all right. You know, they, they didn't have a big drop in terms of um, anything. In fact, most of them um, profits were up during COVID. So it may not have been more people moving online, which is one way of looking at it, but the amount of money that was going online seems to have increased. We found that people who bet online are much more likely to experience problems compared to people who don't bet online. And certainly, you know, we're seeing that things like sports betting and race betting are, you know, potentially problematic and maybe becoming more problematic because there's more products becoming available, more potentially problematic ways to bet. Um, but the people who bet online also bet offline. And so even amongst online gamblers, the pokies are still the big problem and they can't really do that online. So they're doing that in venues too. So while, you know, if you just read the report, it says that online gamblers have more problems, it's actually quite clear that it's still due to the pokies because they're betting on them too. Earlier in the, this program, we, we, we've talked to somebody who's experienced uh, problems from, from their gambling addiction and they, they talked about how uh, they went to their sporting club and the pokies were just there and somebody had a win and they gave it a go and sort of over a period of time, they're, they're into it and, as you say, going at all hours of the day and night to, to, to have a go. A lot of us don't really understand what that attraction is. Can, can you explain any yeah. of that? Well, so people don't really understand gambling, you know, addiction in general. People understand booze and drugs and smoking because there's chemicals in there that make you feel good, right? Uh, with gambling... People don't get that so much. You know, they, they kind of just think, well, why don't you just stop? Like, what are you getting out of this? This can't make you feel good. This looks boring to me. The thing is, particularly with pokies, you know, you can sit there in front of a machine that entertains you, that has flashing lights and lots of nice sounds, and you don't have to think. You just have to sit there and just keep pressing the button. And that means that you can zone out, right? You can just forget your worries. And that's one of the biggest things about gambling addiction is it's not usually the gambling itself that's a problem that causes further problems like financial issues and those sorts of things um, when it gets out of hand. But normally, you know, things like uh, gambling addiction and other addictions are usually more reflective of other underlying issues like, you know, mental health issues and things like that, you know, stress, stressful things, um, you know, major life events that are happening, you know, it's a really good way to cope. Uh, to unwind, you know, so well, it's effective anyway. I wouldn't say it's a good way to cope. It's an effective way to cope. Um, and when you start relying on it to get through, you know, those sorts of difficult situations um, or just for entertainment and those things, that's when it starts to take hold and that's when you start getting into a bit of trouble. Uh, that's interesting. I've never quite thought of the, the pokies as sort of a, a subset of a, a Zen activity, but but you're saying that's kind of what it is. It's a, a, a mental switch off. Yeah. Look, so, you know, people do a thing called dissociation when, when they're at the machines. Um, you know, you go up to someone and you talk to them and, and they often won't even hear you because they're just zoned out. Um, we also realised 
when we did a study earlier this year, um, funded by the New South Wales Office of Responsible Gambling, we were looking at um, what happens in pokey venues and speaking to the staff and what they do about people who are experiencing problems and how they um, you know, interact with them. Um, and we found you know, some pretty amazing things, like the staff, uh, uh, to start off with, told us, don't ever sit on the bar stools in a pokey room or on, on the stools in front of the pokies. And we didn't really understand why. And they said that it's quite common that people get zoned out so much that they actually forget to go to the bathroom. And all of these stools are you know, pretty much covered in urine. So this is the extent that people zone out when playing these things. Now, you know, this is not everyone. This is, you know, it's certainly possible to play the pokies and, um, you know, just put $5 in and, and that's it. There's a, there's a lot of people who are able to do that. But when they take hold, they can really take hold. And there's a lot of, you know, adverse consequences here. They're built on psychological principles about, you know, making things addictive. If you were going to make an addiction machine, you couldn't make anything much better than a pokey. They've got all of the, you know, the principles built into it. Um, so they do pretty well. What's also really unusual is that in Australia, we have them in pubs and clubs, except for WA. They've only got them in their casino in WA. Um, but in the rest of Australia, you go to a pub to have a drink and the pokies are right there waiting for you. In other countries, that's not the case. Pokies are in venues that are specifically set up for gambling. So, you know, casinos, sure, and you can do other things in a casino. But in, say, the UK, for example, they're in betting shops. So, you know, we might see TAB shops around Australia. That's where their pokies are, you know, and you're not allowed to have a drink in there. You just go in there to bet and that's all you can do in the shop. Right. So we have them in these places where you go and socialise and you can see other people playing and other people winning um, and take part in it with your friends if you're getting a little bit bored or something. So that's, you know, a major issue in Australia is that just how accessible these pokies are. And as we heard earlier, that's exactly the situation that Stuart found himself in as it led to his ultimate addiction. Back now with Dr. Alex Russell, who is from the Experimental Gambling Research Lab at the University of Central Queensland. And we continue talking about how gambling is constructed, particularly pokies, on a very solid psychological basis. What you're describing is a thing called a variable reinforcement schedule, where you don't know which press is going to give you the food or the win on the pokey, but you know that there's probably one coming at some point. You just don't know how much you have to put in in the meantime to get there. And that, that is a very strong um, thing that, you know, it, it sounds odd, right? Surely if I know every fifth spin or something like that, I'm going to have a win. Well, you can work out then if I do five spins, I'm spending this much and then I'll win this much back while I'm losing my 10%. That's not that exciting. But if you don't know when the wind's coming and you don't know if the wind's going to be big or not, you know, you don't know if you're getting a big food pellet or a little food pellet, um, that makes it even more exciting too. So, you know, that's that's this degree of chance that comes into this. Um, it's one thing as well that sets apart different types of gambling. So, you know, with sports betting, for example, there's a degree of skill to it. You know, you can look at the form of the teams and, and all that sort of thing, um, you know, work out which players are playing well, who's likely to score first, what you should bet on, um, those sorts of things, you know. Whereas with pokies, there is no skill involved. A lot of people try and find 
skill there though. So, you know, they might press the buttons in very particular ways and it sounds a bit superstitious, but that's certainly what um, a lot of people try or, you know, believe in luck and all that. Um, and we also see people... Um, you know, getting really upset if they've been playing a pokey and putting a lot of money into it and there's been no win and then someone else sits on their machine um, and especially if they have a win, you know, they're like, that person stole my win, uh, you know, because they were due to win. That's the way that they say it. And that's not how it works, right? It's just that's when the win came up and they stopped playing before that. It's not like that win came up because that machine was full of money. That's not how they work. We even see staff in venues doing that, you know, watching which machines have a lot of money pumped into them and playing those on the belief that they're due for a big win. And that's not how they work. So there have been changes in regulation, but are there ways that you can see that are really going to work to address this problem? There's sort of two ways to think about what's being done. So first up is there's very specific regulations that are starting to come in. Um, so, for example, the National Consumer Protection Framework is a, a, a thing that is coming in to help with online gambling. So, you know, to address a lot of the issues that are that are causing harm with uh, with online gambling. So, one example of uh, one component of the National Consumer Protection Framework is a, a self-exclusion register. So, you know, you might have accounts with a bunch of different operators. Uh, and what happens then is, you know, if you want to cut yourself off from one uh, operator, you know, because you're saying, all right, I'm, I've gone a bit over the top this week. I want to take a break for a while. I'm going to self-exclude from this one regulator. It doesn't automatically cut you off from the other operators as well. So you have to go to all of them and remember who you've got accounts with. And then, you know, you might forget one and then they send you an email saying, hey, you know, check out the specials this week. Um, and that's a bit of an issue. So a national self-exclusion register is coming in whereby you can say, I want to self-exclude. And that sorts out excluding from all of the operators, you know. So that sort of thing is what's coming in to help people keep themselves safe. So that there, you know, there is a lot happening in regulation or a lot that's planned in happening in terms of regulation, um, which is a good thing, you know, that seems that things are moving in the right direction. And some of these steps are pretty substantive. Um, but the other thing is the way that more generally we're thinking about gambling problems. So we used to talk about people called problem gamblers. And it's a term that we don't really like these days because it puts all of the onus on the person for experiencing problems, right? It's you did it, you did this to yourself, you shouldn't have gambled this much, you should have stopped when, um, when you were meant to, you should have gambled responsibly, and now it's up to you to sort yourself out. Um, that's sort of been the messaging and the framework around it for, for quite a while. Um, but of course, there's a pretty big problem with that because it doesn't recognise that there are all these addictive products that are on the market and they're advertised like crazy. Um, you know, we, we can't advertise pokies these days, but everyone knows what a VIP lounge is, for example. Um, so, you know, there are these products that are on the market and we're seeing with things like um, sports betting, for example, that new versions of sports betting have become available over the last little while, like being able to bet once the match has started. You, know, you used to have to bet before the match and then see who won. But now you can bet while the match is going on. And you can, you know, bet on something that's just about to happen as well, like who's going to score the first try. So you don't have to wait hours to see if you've won. 
you can find out if you've won in just a few minutes. And that fast-paced potential for betting um, is a big issue. Now, in Australia, we currently have protections around that. You can't bet live in sports. Um, you actually have to make a phone call to the operator to place that bet. And the idea is it's a bit of a check, you know, a bit of a barrier to doing so. Um, but overseas, you can bet live, you can bet in play online. Um, and so a lot of the Australian operators would like to see that here because, you know, it obviously makes a lot of money. But it's the kind of product that appeals directly to people or who are more likely to experience problems. Not to put all of the onus on the gambler, there's still a little bit there, but recognising that we need to make gambling safer in general um, and potentially take some of the normalisation away. You know, we are a nation of gamblers. We lose more per head than any other country in the world, even though fewer of us are gambling. Um, these days. And, uh, you know, we have things like the Melbourne Cup, the race that stops the nation. So I think we need to change the normalisation of gambling in Australia a bit. And there are certainly some really big pushes going on that way. Thanks very much for your time. It's uh, we, We've taken a bit of time, but as you say, it's a very nuanced problem. So there's a lot to unpick. And so I look forward to talking to you again as more information becomes available. I'd love to. We've got a bunch more research coming out soon. So watch this space. We've been speaking with Dr. Alex Russell from the Experimental Gambling Research Lab at the University of Central Queensland.